Welcome, dear listeners, to Level Up, the podcast that takes you on an exciting journey through the world of personal growth and self-improvement. I'm your host, Dr. Leland, and together we'll explore the strategies, stories, and insights that will help you unlock your full potential, whether you're striving for success in your career, looking to enhance your relationships, or simply seeking a more fulfilling life. Level Up! is your passport to transformation. Each episode will deep dive into a wide range of topics from mastering the art of productivity to the science of happiness and from building resilience to unleashing your creativity. Our guests are experts, thought leaders, and real-life achievers who will share their wisdom and experiences to guide you on your path to personal growth. But... Level Up isn't about theory, it's about practicality. We'll provide you with actionable advice and step-by-step strategies that you can implement in your life right away. Our goal is to empower you to take meaningful steps towards your dreams and aspirations. So, if you're ready to embark on a journey of self-discovery, growth, and empowerment, then buckle up because you're about to level up your life. Stay tuned for inspiring conversations, powerful insights, and a dose of motivation in each and every episode of... (gasps) Level up. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast platform and connect with us on social media to join our vibrant community of fellow travelers on this incredible journey. Let's get started on this adventure of personal growth and transformation. Welcome to Level Up. Today, I have a special guest. I know it's been a year. I've been saying that two words, special guest, but they are. Each and every single individual on my live podcast or on my podcast period, I handpick them uh, because I want you guys as listeners and followers to get added value conversations. Sometimes it is just all about talking about their adversity, talking about how they deal with their own adversities and how they actually got out of it, right? And what are it's it's basically what I'm giving you is more of like a cheat sheet, right? Like if you if you go to school and you're like, is there a shortcut? Like I don't understand. Can you give me an idea and give me like visualization here to kind of give get a grasp on what's happening with my life and how I can level it up? And that's what I'm doing with these conversations is that sometimes we go through life and we feel like we're alone in our own process because we can't connect with anyone. We feel like we're being judged by what we're doing and that we are at low point. And who told you you have to be a perfect person? Who told you that you have to be a certain way to actually be accepted by people, right? And it's okay. People, you're not going to please everybody. There's always going to be people that are jealous of what you're doing because they don't understand and see your own adversity and the hardship that you're going through life. You, they only see you as in the live. They see you in the pictures. They see you, um, you know, happy and jolly because that's what you see people do, right? That's what we're supposed to do. But you don't see the messy side of human being. And that's what I'm trying to bring through these stories, right? If you haven't caught on yet. But I also, you know, before I get you all on this rolling depression, um, I also want to give you something that say, hey, yes, we went through this messy side of human being. We went through all this adversity. We got through our own depression. Uh, I suffer from anxiety. I suffer from migraine. That's me, right? But what did I do to get me out of it, to be here to to talk about it, right? I was in live with Paul in my um, in my community, and I didn't know that he wanted to end his life, and he's still here today to, to live and talk about it, right? And people will judge that conversation and said, well, life is so precious. Why would he think that? You can't do that because you're not in his shoes at the moment. Right. So we're so easy and quick to judge people and their decision making. But unless you're in that person's head, you wouldn't know what they're going through. So stop judging people if they're going through things. React, but keep it to yourself if it's something that's going to be bad for the other people. Right. What I'm going to tell you is I am, if you don't already know, I'm all about leveling up people. And you're asking me, some people DM me, what does that mean? That means that whatever you think that helps you doesn't mean just be educated. 
It doesn't mean you have to be perfect. It doesn't mean that you post every day. It doesn't mean that you come to my live, then you're level up. No, reflect, look at yourself in the mirror and reflect. What are you doing today? Okay, that gets you out in the morning so that you can do your hustle, whatever that is, right? Whatever that is, what motivates you? You have to have that fire in your belly that motivates you. I ask my students this. I, I, I work full-time, guys. I'm a professor. I ask my students this. What gets you up? What gets you motivated? You know what they say? My family, right? And some of us identify ourselves based on the title of your job. So when we lose our job, we feel like we lost ourselves. So if you're that type of person watching this, listening to this, it's time to self-reflect. You are more than your title. You are more than your job. If you lose your job today and it's given to somebody else, you're still a human being. You're still you. Nothing has changed. The only thing that's changed is your mental. Right there, right? That's why we talk about today is the mental capacity of how we can leverage our own skills, our own life, our own friends, and our own community to help you. Ask for help. I know I have issues myself when I, I have issues asking for help, right? So I do everything on my own because I never want to depend on anyone. Depending on someone and someone throwing it in your face is like the most disgusting feeling. Like I, I get heebie-jeebies about it, right? And I experienced that when I was five because I didn't grow up with mom and dad. So I had to depend on people. But when you're constantly told, God, you're a burden, you put it in your head. I will never depend on anybody. Even if it's, it kills me and that's a bad attitude, that's my bad attitude. And that's my burden to bear, not for you to bear. But listen, because of that, that's why I am the way I am. Raquel, thank you for being here, right? Um, so, yes. Oops, it's too big. You can see my screen, right? So Level Up Academy, I when we do coffee chats, I don't do selling. Like, I don't sell it like that, right? Uh, I love creating courses and programs based on my experiences for over a decade as a professor. What I do is I, I take the theory that you learn in universities that you pay hundreds and thousands of dollars for, right, and give up your time. I take those theory and I actually hybrid it, like put it into action based on my experience. So I have corporate experience in Fortune 500, and I have also experience in the academia, academia world, right? So I marry those two things so that I can leverage those knowledge of theory plus the action together so you have transferable skills, right? Claim your authority through transferable skills because let's be honest when you go to school and you go to college and your majors in history but you're working in business in social media marketing you're not going to be able to use that degree but what you can do is transfer the skills that you actually use in college through here i'm giving you a shortcut through my classes we have three right now actually i have four more coming in i have vision boarding coming in um, I have negotiation coming in soon and objection handling coming soon. And then managing your boss is me. And actually managing your boss is not about just managing your boss because at the end of the day, you're the boss of yourself. You literally can move mountains for yourself. Now, I want to talk about um, hostage negotiator, right? And basically what it does is that hostage negotiator success rates is at 94%. And you're probably saying, and I ask this all the time with my students, do you know what the hostage rate, the average rate that I get given with my students is like 60%, 50%, 40%, you know, those are average. And honestly, it's 94%. And you're probably wondering, where'd you get that? Here's my link down below. I, if you want, I can give it to you. It's from Harvard Business Review. Um, all of my research usually is either MIT, Harvard, um, because we have, they have really good case studies. Uh, so I use all of their information there. I have an educator account for them. I take classes from them as well. Um, but I, I love this. And you're like, what does it got to do with business or education, right? It has to do with everything because the tools that they use are two. Hostage negotiators saves lives, guys. And it's very pressure. Like, like literally you have lives in your hands. And the only two tools that they use are words and knowledge, words and knowledge. That's it. 
right? The knowledge of this person and the words, the key words that they're saying makes a big difference also with the people that they don't even know in negotiating, right? Here's the thing. The former, former police psychologist and hostage negotiator, George um, Kohlreiser, basically said that this, the key to negotiation is success is to build relationship by creating an emotional connection, right? So if you feel that someone is interested in you, you will be much more willing to connect and bond. And that's how negotiation works. You're literally doing that every day on LinkedIn, by the way, if you didn't know, right? Connecting with people, liking, commenting, but also having those coffee chats, really personalize and customize your relationship. Another thing is book from uh, Stalling for Time, My Life as an FBI Hostage Negotiator from Random House in 2010. The three core principles that you and I can adapt are three things. Build trust through active listening and rapport building. The goal is to gain influence, right? Integrate cooperative and competitive strategies. How do you do that? Demonstrate your goodwill and resolve through your actions, guys, right? Your actions and your words needs to align. If you say you're leveling up and you're selling $10,000 courses, how is anybody can level up with that? They can't. My courses are, are literally varying, but the most expensive one you'll see there is $500 because that is the course. It's just the time that the, the people, the effort that they're putting in, right? The third one is use deadlines. Take a break when it's necessary, but it's time to cool down. Take a break in your life if you need to, right? So those are the things that I wanted to share today. And I want to actually bring in my guest. Are you guys ready? Are you guys ready? Maybe, maybe. Are you ready? Let me see. My guest, I think, is ready. <laughs> How about this? Yay. Hi. Hello, Lisa. Hi. How are you, CJ? Good. Welcome. So tell me about yourself. Well, who is Lisa Ford? Okay, who am I? Um, so let's see. I started as an educator. I was an English teacher a long time ago. And then I kind of moved into being a school counselor. Then I moved from being a school counselor to director of student services. Then I moved from director of student services after seeing so many changes in mental health to becoming a mental health therapist which is what I currently am. I'm a mental health therapist, but I've also started a business. So I'm a budding entrepreneur. Hello, Raquel. In the sense that um, I created a business called Cause and Effect Trauma Healing and Recovery um, because I see so many people who are struggling with undiagnosed learning disabilities and undiagnosed mental health disorders at an early age, and it's impacting their futures and their um, adulthoods and their chances for prosperity. Wow. So take me back 20 years of your life, like a timeline. Okay. And like go on a travel whirlwind in five minutes. <laughs> how would you reflect on your 20 years and how you got here today? So I was raised by two parents and one of which was a mentally ill individual. And that individual um, basically confused me, led me in many different directions where I wanted to find out more about mental health. Um, I also worked in an urban inner city environment and grew up in an urban inner city environment. So I wanted to help youth and I wanted to help individuals who were going in directions that you know, might not have been the right direction and to have them understand the importance of education. With that, I then worked deeply in um, schools that were urban inner city. And I started to find out uh, that there were underlying causes that were shifting the uh, growth potential and the success rates of my students. So um, I started to move in the direction of counseling and psychology. So I got my master's in counseling and psychology. So once doing that, I moved into school counseling and I was all about post-secondary advisement and career planning and all of that stuff. And then in the middle of the pandemic, uh, I saw a mental health breakdown that existed, a mental health crisis 
I dealt with so many suicidal ideations. I also dealt with it within my own home and my own child. And I moved to, uh, I moved to go into the area of clinical mental health therapy. And in doing so, I worked a lot with 14 to 18 year olds until it became too much of a trigger for me. And I started to see too many actively suicidal individuals and too many individuals in crisis. So then I moved to start working with individuals 18 and up. And now what I'm generally seeing in my 18, 19, 20s uh, is that there are so many individuals who are struggling with transitioning into healthy adulthood because they have not had the proper diagnosis in mental health disorders or in learning disabilities. So in seeing all of that, I am now working as a parent advocate, psychoeducational consultant, and uh, a lot of different hats to help individuals, especially parents, um, educators, and do some community outreach in bringing about the importance of why we need to diagnose these things at an early age. Wow. So as a parent, right, I have two kids myself, like, what are some of the telltale sign, I guess, that you would see to say, you know what, I think I'm going to get help for my child? Because our kids won't tell you. Absolutely, they won't. Um, behavioral changes, school reports, changes in friendships, anger, um, withdrawal, sadness, uh, a lot of lashing out or um, a lot of attention-seeking behaviors and risk-taking behaviors like um, constantly dyeing their hair a different color every single day. I mean, that could be nothing, but it could be something. Um, piercing their nose, piercing different parts of their body, um, breaking curfew, grades dropping, um, missing school, missing different things, um, finding that they're telling lies, catching them in lies. Um, a lot of behavioral displays are the result of someone who is struggling with some kind of pain. And a lot of time that pain is from, from mental health concerns or from learning disabilities and bullying. A lot of times it could be from bullying as well. And that can move into a direct, excuse me, a direction of mental health deterioration. Yeah, that is that. Yeah. Bullying. I had to move my kids actually out of a different school to a different school because of that. Um, yeah. You know, you can only work so much with, with the, with the school. Um, they're even in private schools. And even then it's still bullying still exists. It's just that we have more control over things um, than if you would in a public school. Uh, but at the same time, it, it's not immune <laughs> to any of those behaviors because, you know, kids are kids. But at the same time, like as parents, we're so busy hustling, we forget that our kids need us. Right. right. And so having those telltale signs is super important. Now, when Absolutely. when you're dealing with those young adults, what type of diagnoses or tools that you would provide for them? So I don't provide the diagnosis itself. What I end up doing is seeing the individuals um, when the behavioral displays are exhibited. So the first thing in getting the proper diagnoses is for the parent to reach out to the schools and to see if the schools can do an evaluation within the schools with a school psychologist. Um, that's the cheapest way to do it. Or you can go to your family doctor and you can ask for them to uh, provide the psychological evaluation or the educational evaluation. Um, and then the diagnosis comes. And once the diagnosis comes, once the diagnosis is there, I mean, I say diagnosis because it could be more than one. Yeah. Um, once you get that diagnosis, then you can plan for what do I do? How do I then implement um, the things that I need to? And one of the biggest things you want to do is go into the school and work with the school, with the child study team in creating the right accommodations and modifications in getting an IEP or a 504 plan. And in doing so, a lot of times um, it's difficult in getting all of the accommodations and modifications that the child needs. So um, it's really understanding what you're dealing with. So that's why a lot of times I work as a parent advocate. I help the 
parents in understanding what the accommodations and modifications are and in understanding what this diagnosis means in regards to what they truly need to succeed. Also, it's providing um, other resources such as therapy because therapists are the ones who work through the emotional angle of it and seeing why this unraveling of behavior is existing and what in turn can be done with that behavior to shift it in a different direction. I'm glad you said that. I'm the type of person that I hate. I've done medication for such a long time. I had suffered from pain because I have scoliosis. I've, you know, I have, I suffer from migraines. I broke tailbones. I, you know, I have done all those crazy things. Uh, when I was younger, I used to bungee jump and jump in airplanes. And, you know, I was that type of person. And, and then I married someone who is actually afraid of heights. So it's like, it's the opposite <laughs> of us. So it's like, oh my God, you're crazy. And, but he can, he can race like his car, he could race. And I'm like, no, I don't do the ground racing thing. Like That's I can cool. jump off a plane. And it's so amazing like how that actually works in our in our household with the dynamic because one of our child is the same as the dad and one of the the child's the same as me so I was like you're just like your mom they're like you're just like your dad you know all that conversation which is kind of wonderful but the genetic pool like I can see that now I'm the type of person that hates medication and I know some people do that right and that's why I'm super interested on the cognitive behavior therapy. Can you talk to me a little bit about that in your experience of how would a parent, as an advocate for the parents, how would you coach per se or mentor the parents and said, hey, maybe you should do this? Because sometimes even if the child is going to therapy, I've seen um, one of my kid's friends, they're going to therapy, but the trigger is the parent like, how do you mentor a parent to say, yes, your child is actually getting help, but because of the environment at home, you're the trigger. Like, you can't point fingers. How do you do that? How do you coach a parent? Pretty difficult. Um, firstly, let me go back to the medication, if I could. Um, yeah. I do want to say that as a therapist, um, one of the first things I do is in dealing with a client to see if medication is a necessary piece of it. Because what happens with trauma is it sort of creates this disconnect in our brains. And um, therapy helps to balance it out. But if we don't have the proper medication, then sometimes that disconnect is all over where balancing it out with therapy is not fully there. So there are times that psychotropic medication is a necessary thing. And I do understand that can be overprescribed, but I do want to say that there is definitely value that exists in this medication. So with that said, one of the first things I do with parents is that I request they get their own therapy because therapy is processing emotions. Therapy is repositioning things. So CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy. So if we work with the client to change the way the client thinks And then we can change the behavior. You know, we work in the client and we look at the emotions that are coming out and then we can change the behavior. Um, A lot of times that behavioral display and the way of thinking comes from the parent, as you stated, comes from um, conditioning in which the parent reacts a certain way. So then the child picks up on that, comes from whatever uh, patterns of behavior that have existed. And a lot of times it is often um, a generational pattern. So it's going back in time to look at all of the stitches that have been existing in the families for all of that time. So when we go back in time and we look at the behavioral patterns, a lot of times the parents need to get their own therapy to understand what they in turn have implanted in their own minds and then are doing within their own child's minds and looking at that continual generational pattern of trauma. So that's one of the first things I do is ask the parent to get their own therapy. In doing so, then we can work in kind of looking at, okay, this is what your child is saying. This is what your child is feeling. And then let's look at what you are going through and what is what you're dealing with. You know, how is that impacting your child? And it's a hard thing to do. It is because I think as a parent, we are aware that we're, we're going to be messing up our children. I know. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but and also because of that generational like trauma i see yeah. my generational tra- trauma right like i didn't grow up with parents so i i want to make sure that my kids grew up with parents right and at the same time you know i was abandoned as a child so i'm trying to process that for a long time i'm still processing by the way and and anger and i have a lot of anger and resentment and abandonment like all the bad adjectives you can think of just pour it on cj that's what i have right but then people are like well how do you stay positive and i'm like it's trying to find that balance and i think what it is is when i found my purpose um i process with my own emotions and that's why i told you i got my certificate for cbt yeah Yeah. it's because it's not just for people that I want to help. It's for me. I want to help myself and processing and deciphering. Is this what I'm feeling a thought or is this an emotion? Right? Because if you're logic, logical person, which I consider myself a logical person, but I feel like I'm more emotional than logical, especially when it comes to kids and conversation, I literally, my emotion takes over my logic and then I make bad decisions and it goes like this. And it just keeps going and rolling. And I can see myself just going on a deep dive right there. Mm-hmm. But I can't stop myself. And I'm like, I need something. And, and and I didn't know for some reason before I thought, oh, just get a coping mechanism. What's your coping mechanism? And when I learned CBT, it's not about even coping. Actually, that's bad to have a coping mechanism. I was like, what? What do you mean? I've always been told. That's, you yeah, that, that's, that's a catch-22 because – what happens is, is that we have p- coping mechanisms and they become maladaptive. So um, we can create maladaptive coping skills, but what we do in therapy is we actually look to replace those maladaptive coping skills with positive ones, with ones that are more productive. So yes, it's under- it's, it's a combination of the two. It's understanding you know, what we've put in our brain in regards to how we process things and how our emotions are then pushing us into a certain behavioral display. And we're using some sort of maladaptive coping skill to mirror the pain, because that's my thing at the, at the core of everything is pain. There is some level of pain and something that has not been processed that can create addiction, that can create promiscuity, that can create failure in um, academics, um, whatever it is. There's some level of pain. So it's working through the thoughts and going back in time to sort of look at what is the source of that pain. And when we had that source of the pain, why did it lead us to that coping skill and is, is this coping skill good for us or is it not good for us? And if it's not good for us, how do we change the pattern to then find one that is good for us? So let me ask you this as an example. Like we're having a one-on-one live therapy here. There you go. Right? Let's say that, for example, you know, you feel rejected. Mm-hmm. Right. That's your emotions right there. Right. And then your thoughts, I'm not good enough. Right. That that goes into like, I'm not good enough of a friend or I'm not good enough of an employee because I got rejected. How would you coach someone on that behavior and, and start therapy with that conversation? I would start looking at their abandonment issues and issues and where they felt rejected and when they felt rejected. Um, why they felt rejected, why that was so impactful to them. It probably would stem back to something else in their past. Um, Then we would start looking at how that rejection sort of shaped the way they view themselves and what we can do to sort of uncondition that shaping, what we can do to sort of build the self-esteem. I would probably bring out some DBT workbooks and some CBT, you know, um, trainings and activities. Um, I would definitely work through it in the sense I'm very big on bibliotherapy. I'm a former English teacher, so I often prescribe books. Um, I'm big on TED Talks. I love TED Talks, you know, so I try to normalize the um, the feeling, the rejection. Um, Look at Brene Brown with shame and and looking at um, some of those elements to sort of Take, take apart, because I think it's a giant puzzle what happens with trauma. We just take this, take this, take this, and we create this. And once we create it, we need to then take it apart and then create a new hole, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, that's why I when I hire people, I I love new hires because they're so excited about the new company mm-hmm. and you can just train them the way you want them, right? Right. Whereas right. people who've been in this organization for 10 years and you're trying to like train them and what's new, they're like, eh, I've seen it all, right? And it's like <laughs> that rejection of like, you didn't see this, this is brand new. But then your new trainer, it's that, right? Because we come as a blank page. All of us did as a baby, right? And yes. it's our environment that, kind of creates that but we have to be responsible and take accountability for our own self rather than feel like I'm a victim of this right um because I think when we have that victim mentality and we all have that I've been there like oh my god somebody did this to me and da 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 and I'm like sitting down I'm like CJ so basically they're rent free in your head right because you're thinking about them all the time and how you're angry that they did this to you when you really had a choice to back out of that and you didn't And that's called reframing and restructuring, you know, so I prefer to use the word survivor rather than the word victim, because victim is bringing about a sense of helplessness. It's taking away a person's power. It's taking away a person's empowerment. I think when we say survivor, we can then see ourselves as like the hero or the heroine in our own story and understand our strengths and be proud of the fact that, okay, we had these situations, we had these stories, we had these failures, but we're still standing. And then use that in turn to build our self-image and our self-esteem. Yeah, but I feel like some people are on that victim role. I'm still going to stick with that word because I've seen people that are in their 70s. that are still in that role. Like I couldn't get this job 10 years ago, 10 years ago uh, because of this. And I just have posted one of my um, really good friend, Merikit was posting something about, um, you know, having those boundaries, right? And it, it took me a long time to actually not be a people pleaser. Um, that's my problem. I have a problem with that. So I went to 50% And I literally will tell you, I calculated quantitatively how many times I've become a people pleaser and boom, I need that boundary. And I still, even till today, I still feel bad when I show boundaries, Um, but it's for my own sake, right? Yeah. What I'm hearing is that you have some level of trauma that you have learned to process in yourself because when we, when we have trauma, we process it through fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. So when you're saying that you became a people pleaser, you sort of went into that fawn role where you just sort of wanted to please, 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 because you had that self-image, you know, those current concerns of self-image where you sort of had to learn to please other people because of the fact that you felt like you may not have been good enough. You may not have, you know, had all of the skills that you needed to have. So that's often where that fawn comes from. Well, no, it's because I've never see that abandonment is the root of all my issues, right? Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. as a child in Asian culture, A minus is an F. Yeah. It's not an option to be an A minus. You're not a less than, right? So you do everything in your power. Even if you have 30 minutes of sleep and die of a heart attack, you are going to be an A student. And it has to be a perfect 100%. 99% is almost good enough, but you're still not good enough. That's how I lived my life without a parent, right? And so when people are like, why are you collecting degrees? Dude, that's the only thing I know. Like that's right. It comes easy for me. It's because that's part of my trauma. That's you don't want my life. Believe me. And that abandonment, I think, um, gets me to be a people pleaser because before I said, oh, if I'm perfect, if I'm number one out of 7,000 kids here, which I did that all my life, my parents will come for me. They never did, by the way. So, but that kind of thing, my coping is if I'm educated enough and if I have 100% of everything and if I'm number one out of 7,000 people, they're they're definitely coming for me, right? And that's how I become people pleaser. It's that attitude of like, if I please somebody else, and I've been doing that even since college. My dad's like, you got to be in computers. So I did computer software programming, but I love public speaking. So I double major into journalism. I did editing. I did public speaking. I'm everything. I'm president of whatever, everything you can think of, right? So you overcompensated. Yeah. You you overcompensated. Yeah, that's my issue. So and I'm like, okay, well, how do I so now it's like, no, I'm doing it for me because it makes me happy. 
And it took me like 40 plus years of my life to realize like, hey, you're not doing it for nobody anymore. Your parents don't even care that you have fourth degree. They don't care anymore. You know, I'm okay with my mom and dad now, but I'm like, you know, sometimes I do want to make them feel guilty because I want something. That's, you know, I'm an only child. I get bratty sometimes, but I'm like, okay. But now it's like, you know what? I'm not doing that anymore. I used to volunteer and then all my time with my kids are gone. I'm like, no, I'm not doing that anymore. Right. I asked them would be, why are you doing that? And that's what we would explore. Yeah, that's a good question. And I I think having boundaries makes me feel good as a person that I can stand for myself and what I want and not what other people want anymore. And I used to care what people, if they like me or not, I don't. If you don't like me for who I stand as a person, I feel like that's not my problem. That's a you problem. Good for you. That's yeah. growth. That is growth. And that's the way it should be, you know, and that's you learning to feel good about yourself within yourself and not mm-hmm. needing the extrinsic reward and the extrinsic validation from other individuals. And that's a really hard skill to learn, especially when you've developed a fun personality. Mm-hmm. And I, I know, and, and I see yeah. that. Yeah, I'm like, hey, rain wins. But I know what my trauma is. I know exactly. I'm fully aware. And when people use me, I'm okay with that because I have boundaries now. When I see that you're stepping out of my boundaries, I will let you know. Mm-hmm. And if you say, oh, I don't like you anymore because this, I'm like, that's your problem. That's not my problem. Right? That's why I'm like, that's a you problem. Honey, get that mirror because I my mirror is already full of cracks. Let me tell you something. This mirror is full of cracks. I'm putting it in a glue section. <laughs> right? But at the same time, I think it's it's good for people to not be so worried what other people think of you so long as you're not hurting anyone. What are your thoughts surrounding that? So I had a client who I worked with in the very beginning and was often looking for a person, looking for someone to complete them and wanted like a partner in life. And that particular individual, um, we had to work very hard for him to learn that the validation doesn't need to come from another person. And sometimes we're not even ready for that validation from another person because we haven't done the work within ourselves. So when we look through ourselves and see, why do I feel like I need this validation? Why have I created this coping skill? Why do I still feel the need to impress upon, you know, impress upon the society that I am this person or I am this person? Why can't I just be comfortable with who I am? When we look at all of that, then we can get to a point where we can start unraveling to say, okay, now I can find the person that I'm going to spend my time with because I value myself enough that I've created standards, I've created boundaries, I've created an understanding that this is what I need from you to bring to the table with me or else you're not the right match for me. Not that I'm going to change myself to mold myself to be who you need, but more so this is who I am. I'm comfortable in who I am. And so I need to find someone who enhances that, builds upon that, and partners with that rather than tries to shape that. And oftentimes people don't find that. What they find is they want someone who wants to complete them. And so they find someone who's controlling, someone who's overbearing, someone who gaslights, someone who takes them down, someone who pulls them in a direction where they take over the person and they feel very small and unseen and unheard. Yeah. And that's another trauma, (laughs) just trauma after trauma, you know, like my grandma, my grandma um, on my mom's side, married five times, my mom, the same married five times. And then my daughter turns 18. That's my, that's when my mom had me when she was 18 or 17, even younger. And <laughs> she's like celebration. And I was like, why mom? She's like she has no boyfriend and she has, no <laughs> child. you know, like we celebrate those mini wins. Right. And I, I laughed right. at her because I got married at like 25 and I had my kid at 26. She's like, honey, do we need to match you with someone? Like, you know, you're kind of getting older. I'm like, mom, this is a new dawn. Like, we don't need to be married at 18. But I think that type of comment even makes you think of yourself less than, right? And they don't mean to be. The intentions was actually somewhat funny, but real. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you question, like, I analyze things. I have analysis by paralysis issues sometimes. Analysis by paralysis. I like that. Yeah. And I just like, I can't think anymore. 
I can't think anymore because I'm analyzing too much. I was like, CJ, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. walk away. Um, and that's why I have my dogs. <laughs> because and that's I when self-care is necessary. And that's when decompressing is necessary, especially those of us who have like depression and anxiety, because what often happens is the anxiety is there and the brain is just taking in and taking in. And we have like this container brain and we get to the point that that container gets so full and you're worrying, worrying, worrying to the point that it just like it pops or it overflows. And then boom, you drop into that depression again. So a lot of times when you feel yourself building up to that area, the depression, you know, anxiety, where it's getting to that point of depression, it's okay. I need to regroup. I need to walk away. I need to process. I need to do some self-care, get your nails done, get your toes done, get your roots done, get, you know, I mean, my roots done, um, you know, get whatever you I'm need. I'm getting get gray done. hair here, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, go work out, do whatever you need to do, because that is what we need to sort of get through it all. You know, uh, I, I'm ADHD. I'm, you know, I have my major depressive. I have all this and that. I know when I'm hitting that point where my brain is just on overload, okay, need to take a step back, need to go do something else, need to find myself. And that is what healthy coping skills are. Not when we're saying, okay, I'm feeling this overload. I want to numb the pain. So then I'm going to start drinking to the point that, you know, I'm in oblivion. I'm going to start finding drugs. I'm going to start finding a toxic person that's matching my toxicity and trauma bonding. So it's understanding the difference between toxic healing and toxic um, decompressing versus, you know, positive and constructive decompressing. And that's a big part of what therapy does. Yeah. And I think that that's why it's good. I mean, even the therapists have their own therapist, right? Um, I wanted to highlight here, Stephen, um, so true. Less than perfect is not acceptable in our culture. It is. Asian cultures are so controlling. It's not even funny. We have rules after rules after rules. Mm -hmm. And um, my standards used to be uh, when I was dating is the man has to be five years older because at least they're a little bit mature. I find that men in my age are not there, <laughs> especially in my 20s. I'm like, no. And they have to be able to carry a conversation other than themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can have politics conversation, religion, those taboo conversation, but not get heated. Like that was my standards. Um, they have to have a job <laughs> at that time and they are family oriented. Like they want to have kids. Like those are right. my standards. And um, also I was like really old school. Like I wouldn't kiss you. I wouldn't hold your hand until about six months in, you know, when we're dating, like I'm that type of chick. Like it, I'm really like, because I came from a trauma where I was left alone. Like I don't want to leave my kids alone. Hello. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I had those standards and I am trying to, impart some of those standards from my kids but i find that the resistance is not even the star wars resistance guys the resistance real resistance for my kids is kind of difficult so i have to have that conversation like hey i understand mom is overbearing when it comes to that i am a helicopter mom i'm trying to like stay away but at the same because they're proud you know she's gonna be 19 like literally i think she's five Mm -hmm. but anyhow I can't prescribe those same trauma or the same thinking and the same standards for my kids because I'm actually impeding on their happiness. And I'm also not only that, but I'm also creating more trauma than what are what they're already going through, even through the pandemic. Right. So as a parent, before we end the conversation as a parent, what would your advice be for your kids today? If you see that, they're kind of struggling a little bit and we just don't know what they're struggling, right? Like even adults, they're struggling. What what would be your number, like top three advice for them to do? Pay attention, find the resources and deal with the problem. So paying attention is don't just ignore it. It's not just going to go away. You see it, you have to do something. You have to report it either to a school counselor, a school social worker, a therapist, a psychiatrist, family doctor. So you need to pay attention and report it to someone. Okay. Find the resources in the sense that 
are you, you, you need to then go to your insurance company and see if you can find the right psychiatrist, therapist, so-and-so. If it's a learning disability situation, get the child tested, talk to the teachers, see if they see any changes. Um, pay attention to like the behaviors that you see within your own home. So that's finding, finding the resources and then dealing with it. Once you find those resources, then use those resources create that therapy appointment. I don't care if all of a sudden, oh, he's doing better today. I'm not seeing unraveling today, but I did last week. You saw it last week. There was a reason why it existed. Just double check it, check it off. If everything's cool, you don't have to worry about it. But one of the biggest problems that we have as human beings is we don't communicate. Communicate about it. Just say, hey, what's going on? Is there something going on? Now, if it's internalized and the communication's not coming out and you just see it, that nonverbal communication is still communication. You still want to address that. But one of the biggest things we can do as parents is hug our children and just say, what's going on? What, what can I do? What do you need? And pay attention to it. Yeah, that's good. What if you're dealing with like an adult for ourselves mm -hmm. and we know that we're having issues, but we're afraid to reach out or even find resources. Like what can we do for ourselves to get out of that mental? Um, Start doing some research on your own. So as you were mentioning those things about, you know, as far as feeling challenged, but, you know, being an Asian woman and feeling that those levels, of, first thing I was thinking of um, was Amy Tan's book. Um, what is it? The Joy, Joy Luck Club. Thinking oh, of Tiger that. Lily, thinking of Tiger Lily, um, thinking of some of those individuals. I am a bibliotherapy person. So I would start saying reading, find some people who are normalizing what you're feeling go onto TED Talks and just Google, you know, Asian culture expectations, looking at that stuff to see that this is not just in my head. Let's normalize this as though this is not just my problem. This is a problem that exists, you know? And then I think with doing that and, and normalizing it, you can then start shifting the way you're looking at it. And you can get workbooks. Workbooks are awesome too, because then you can physically jot things down. Um, so that would be my first thing to do. And then um, talk to someone. If you're not going to talk to a therapist, talk to a clergy member, talk to a friend, talk to someone because we all need someone. I'm glad. I'm, I'm actually putting Lisa here. If you guys are not connected with Lisa on LinkedIn, please do. That is her uh, LinkedIn. Take a picture of it. Uh, she's also tagging my event so you can just connect with Lisa. Um, this is her website, right? Is it's this a your work website? In progress. We're getting this thing redone, but you can still see what I do. Yeah. And then, of course, her email. This is her email if you need to contact her directly um, to just have a conversation, right? Even if sometimes it's easy to have a conversation with a stranger than a friend because then you don't feel the judgment. They're like blank page. They don't know exactly what, what's happening, right? Until they get to know you. And that's why the therapist, I think, is, is helpful. Mm -hmm. um, I've tried psychiatry. I've tried um, psychologists. I've tried, you know, I've tried pretty much everything. I've done healing. And I think definitely an amalgamation of all of the things that I tried, I'm not afraid to try, um, is helping me become who I want to be. Good for you. And, and I one up. of the key things about it is finding the right match. So mm -hmm. if you find a therapist, you find a psychiatrist, or you find whoever it is, and they don't seem to connect with you, well, then look, still look for someone. Because if you're not matched with the right person, you're not going to have the right connection, and it's not going to help you to do the work. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, when they have someone that's not the right match, then they generalize, right? They're like, oh my God. Cause I did that for 10 years. I was like, I'm not going to psychiatrist. They're crazier than I am. They don't even understand what I'm trying to say. Right. Yeah. Um, and then my uncle is ac actually doing a psychotherapy and um, he's a psychotherapist for a long time and he's deal with so much trauma, especially mm -hmm. lately. And he's in San Francisco. So, um, He's, he's trying to move out of there right now, for sure. And so I kind of talked to him about it. And then, you know, I'm on this journey now of um, CBT. And I've done the workbook. And, and I understand myself better. It does work. Uh, I try to, I can recognize my thoughts and emotions when I'm angry. My ears really get red. 
and then my my body and I'm like I'm gonna murder someone you know like, <laughs> I'm gonna go see my dog now he like that's my emotional dog so when when uh when I teach a class and they hear snoring I just tell my my students I'm like I'm sorry guys I, I need her right now so we're good like we're, we can do accounting at at eight o'clock at night right now let's do debits and credits you know like and that's they're probably thinking of me like crazy I'm like no no we can do this I can totally you know and and I love that I switch myself to that level because I can, okay, there. Now it's not a scroll anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry, my emotional support animals looking for their emotional support uh, adult right now, as you may see my dog. Mine too. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Um, I really appreciate you. Appreciate your time. Uh, This is not the first and the last. We'll definitely keep connecting. We need this. We need this community to level up, but also to help each other out because right now, more than ever, we need each other, right? Absolutely. We really do. Um, so, <laughs> see, when are you not learning? <laughs> Never. <laughs> Did you know? Advice there. Love that right? picture, Sia, with the thumbs up. Right. I mean, literally, I'm always learning. Uh, seriously. And my daughter even said, Mom, after psychology, let's just say that you get in and, and they're crazy enough to take you in for psychology and you graduate. What's next? I was like, I don't know, whatever I'm going through that time. I'm going through whatever I've done, cybersecurity and counterterrorism. You know, I've done MBA organizational leadership. I've done international business now. I'm going to do psychology. I don't know what's next. I'm doing the same thing. I mean, learning when we're not learning, what are we doing? You know? We're dead. We're dead. If you're not learning, you're dead. It's like fish right. in the ocean, right? Right. right. We yeah. can learn in all different ways. So if we're not learning, what are we doing? I'd love to connect to Stephen. Yeah. Thank you so much today. And thank you everyone for tuning in. I will see you hopefully in the workshop with Pete in Zoom. Bye guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. I'm on my own, broken alone. I feel the rain crashing down. As we conclude today's episode, I want to leave you with a truly extraordinary opportunity. In October, something incredible is on the horizon, and I'm thrilled to share it with you. Picture this, a gathering of the world's brightest minds, innovators, and changemakers all converging in one virtual space for a transformative experience like no other. It's the Global Summit of October, a monumental event that will shape the future of our world. This summit isn't just about ideas, it's about action. You'll have the chance to connect with visionaries who are redefining industries, global leaders who are solving pressing challenges, and pioneers who are creating a better tomorrow. Imagine immersing yourself in a sea of knowledge, soaking up insights that can supercharge your career, your passion, and your impact on the world. The October Global Summit isn't just an event, it's a catalyst for change. Stay tuned for more details as well, unveiling the lineup of speakers, the agenda and the coming weeks trust me you won't want to miss this opportunity to be part of something truly historic so mark your calendars spread the word and get ready to be inspired motivated and empowered like never before together we'll take the next giant leap forward in our personal and collective journey thank you for being part of our podcast community your support means the world to us and we can't wait to have you join us at the october global summit until then keep leveling up and remember the future is ours to shape. The